Welcome to The Teacher's Story. I'm Jackie Scully. This is a podcast to elevate teacher voice. In this program, you will hear teachers sharing their journey into this profession and their ideas for education. This is about honest, vulnerable, inspiring storytelling. It's a time and a space for teachers to share their ideas for the future of education. Teachers are beautiful beings who give their heart and soul to their community. They're innovators. They're inspirational, not only to children, but to the people around them and they deserve to share their voice. So welcome to The Teacher's Story. Enjoy. Hi, welcome to The Teacher's Story. I'm Jackie Scully, and today we have Jacqueline Malay with us. And I met uh, Jacqueline through um, two other guests that were on the show, um, Audrey Forgeron and David Carpenter, who also have a podcast called Educators Going Global, which Jacqueline was also on as a guest on their podcast. Um, she has her work in international teaching. She's an international teaching consultant and her company is called jpmintconsulting.com. We will plug that information in the show notes. Uh, she's a former international teacher and school administrator of 20 plus years. So lots of experience. And she is zooming in with us today from Mexico. So thank you, Jacqueline, for being here with us. Well, thank you so much for uh, allowing me to come on to your show. I've I've been enjoying listening to episodes of podcasts from all over. Um, this is a new forum for me, the podcast episodes. And I've got to say, I really enjoy being guests and not the daunting um, process of having to edit <laughs> and edit an actual podcast. So this is for anyone out there considering going into podcast, be a guest yeah. <laughs> and then see, see what you think of it. <laughs> I would just say it's fun being on the other side. I've been on quite a few and yes, editing is a lot of work, but it, it is fun. It's fun to put it all together. So I appreciate that plug as well. Um, I'm sure it's my, really rewarding to hear the the final product and then yeah. to have people's feedback as well. I know that that would Absolutely. be over yeah. the top. Yeah. And it's, it's always a learning process as of anything that we do, right? Even in education. Um, my first question for you is what initially uh, sparked your interest to get into education or teaching in particular? I know that you have a lot of your work in international teaching, but if anything that just stems from your time from uh, Canada, being in Canada. Yeah, well, I mean, I don't, I'm not sure. I think a lot of teachers will relate to this, uh, lining up your teddy bears as a child and then playing teacher, um, having them do dictation and then taking out a red crayon and marking up their, their fictional papers and stuff. So I did that uh, right from the get-go. I always felt an affinity to my teachers, a close relationship, almost that sympathy of, oh man, I wish, I wish I could help you more because this class is so tough. You know, I had some really, I had some really great teachers that um, I felt so sympathetic for because they were dealing with, you know, not so nice grade eight students. And I was a grade eight student that was not a, um, not a, an angel by any means. Uh, I had my share of uh, spitball firing onto the blackboard. I remember in one grade eight class, but but, you know, you feel that sympathy. And so I always felt an affinity to the to the profession and to the people that were my teachers. And I, to this day, I still remember all their names because mm. because they they helped who who I became. And I, I had the pleasure in um, in teachers college to call uh, my favorite teacher and and tell her what she meant to me. 
Oh, and that I was, love that. Yeah, that was really heartwarming. And she, yeah. she just got blown away over the phone call, um, you know, this phone call out of the blue. And, and then I myself have been on the receiving end of a few of those phone calls and Facebook messages saying what I had done for them uh, as a French teacher overseas. So, uh, so yeah, it's, it's a full circle of, of paying it forward. Yes, I love the paying it forward. I've talked about that often on this show. And I relate to you um, in two of the areas that you talked about. I did line up like my stuffed animals and had a chalkboard in my basement and played teacher. I was a uh, only child up until like eight years old. So when I was really little, like my my stuffed animals were, you know, my siblings, but they were also my students. But I had the same feeling towards this one particular teacher I had in, I'm not going to say her name because the kids would make fun of it. Um, but in seventh grade or eighth grade, the students were just relentless. And she was like a young female uh, teacher. So I always felt that way too. I'm like, why do you have to put up with these students? They're being so mean. And she was like a wonderful teacher and so sweet and not very good disciplinary. But, um, you know, just <laughs> I felt that too. So I totally relate. Um, you can either share this in your time in Canada or your first early international teaching experiences, but maybe any stories or aha moments or challenges or something that comes to mind when you think of those early years of teaching. Oh yeah. I mean, uh, when I, I first went overseas right out of teacher's college, uh, I, I literally was on the plane the day after I graduated because <laughs> I got the job offer in Korea over the phone and I just took a huge leap of faith, packed two suitcases and got on a plane. And my parents were like, where are you going? Like, what's happening? You just were graduating yesterday. And um, so I took that leap of faith, went overseas to Korea to teach English. Uh, and as a, a licensed teacher, I was one of the few uh, in my in my little school. It was a language school that operated after school hours. So for private lessons. Mm -hmm. And uh, I was one of the few that actually had a teaching license, but I didn't have any experience other than my mm -hmm. practicum. So I that's why I went overseas at first was to get that experience before going into a daunting Canadian classroom with kids that were going to eat me alive. So I headed overseas and I taught there for three years um, in Korea, but different schools and thoroughly enjoyed it. I got bit by the travel bug. I got bit by the living overseas, the excitement of everyday life, you know, going to a grocery store and trying to figure out ingredients for a recipe. And where am I going to find this thing? And so all of that really, really held on to me. And I started applying for international jobs. And they said, well, you, you're a French teacher, but you have no French teaching experience. Like they would look at my CV and saw all ESL. And I said, but I'm French Canadian. Like I can do this in my sleep. Yeah, but you need to go show us that you can do this. So that's mm -hmm. when I came back to Canada. And I was very fortunate to uh, land a job quite quickly, despite it being August, at the end of August, mm -hmm. and and I don't know, in, in Canada, school starts the day after Labor Day, which is around the first mm -hmm. Monday of September. So this is the end of August, and I'm I'm applying for teaching jobs, and I got one. I got a French teaching job teaching junior kindergarten to grade eight every second year, and then the other French teacher filled in the other, the other mm -hmm. years. So we, we worked uh, in tandem. And it was a small rural school outside of my hometown um, that I had actually never heard of before. Um, shout out to Arne Pryor out there. And uh, and I 
I didn't know what I was getting into. This was totally different from teaching ESL in Korea because first of all, Korean students are very well behaved. And I was dealing with 32 grade eights in a classroom teaching French and they didn't want to learn French, but they were, they were eager. They were eager to get sort of what I could offer them, but man, it was a learning curve. And uh, mm. that first year was so tough, even though it was my fourth year of teaching, my first year in a Canadian school, I was really lucky to have some excellent veteran teachers at the school who had doors open for me and offers of help with discipline, uh, you know, tips. And I remember one teacher saying to me, you will teach them nothing until they get you, you know? And I was just kind of ramming the content down their throats, but I wasn't opening up who I was and getting to know who they were. And I thought that was such an important message. And I've, I've reiterated that over the years is that until they get who you are and know that you're caring about who they are, you will get nothing out of them. You will get nothing into them. And it was such a vital lesson for me. That's so true. And it reminds me of a saying that was used in kind of like old school teacher training. I used to hate this saying, don't smile till Christmas. I'm like, <sighs> look at me. Are you telling me not to smile? I, I don't think I could do that. Like when we had, you know, COVID and wearing masks, I was like still walking around smiling under my mask. But that doesn't work at all. You have to get to know the kids. Doesn't mean that, first day, first week, you're like spilling your guts about your whole entire <laughs> life, but you are taking time to just be human and then really asking them a lot of questions and getting to know them as individuals outside of just being a French student, right? Like what sports are you involved in? Like maybe going and attending some of the things outside of school. It's absolutely important to get to know your kids outside of just the subject matter. If you're going to actually teach them anything, you're going to have some eager students that are just going to be good students. But most of them, if you don't try to connect with them, they're like, I don't care. I don't care what you're teaching me. And they'll push back. And it's interesting that you talk about coming back to Canada and um, how difficult it was or like the students were more well-behaved in uh, South Korea than in Canada. Because I guess the, um, I don't know, I, I think the, the stereotype from Americans is that all Canadians are so nice and they're so well-behaved and respectful. Like if I were to tell like, my colleagues or students about, you know, what we're talking about right now in Canada, they want to believe me. Um, we, we tend to think that our country is the only one that maybe has like those types of classrooms, but it's, it's everywhere, right? No, but, um, it's, it's, it's actually international. I mean, we, yeah. we do even have troubled kids in, in South Korea and in international yeah. schools, um, just fewer so that we can actually kind of help them out more yeah. we're not overwhelmed in in Canada I was I was in a rural school outside of a big city so you know therefore I had really well-behaved kids but for me it just felt overwhelming as a new teacher yeah. with not a lot of tools in my my toolkit for for discipline I was throwing everything at them I was trying sticker sticker one sticker per class you know per lesson and then if they had five stickers they would get a 10 minute game or something outside and they were I was trying to get them to work yeah. towards that you know this sort of positive influence as opposed to writing names on the board I tried right. that as well I mean I tried everything I learned so much in those three years 
uh, about discipline and then and then didn't have to apply it for the rest of my career overseas because I would come in and I'd be like, I've got things under control. And they were just putty in my hands. These international students were so yeah. sweet. They were just like, can you teach us French? Oh, yeah. Oh, sure. Yeah, I can do that. Yeah, <laughs> that's what you I want. did. I didn't do it long term, but I know exactly the the difference when I went to China for a summer and taught in a China camp. I also taught in Hawaii for five years. Obviously, Hawaii is part of the United States, but culturally very different than the rest of the United States, particularly the Northeast, where you know I am now and where I grew up. Um, but so respectful and eager to learn, like particularly when I was in China and like just wanted to take it all in. And and we did ESL and we did a lot. Like each day was like a different part of like American culture. And when we got to sports, which it's funny talking about this because it's the Super Bowl today. And yes, mm -hmm. the Eagles are in it. Um, but they're like, tell me everything. <laughs> they were just like so interested. And like, I, I couldn't, I, I couldn't get over how engaged they were. And then you like, get back to your classroom. You're like trying all the tricks and all the games and all the activities just to keep these teenagers engaged on a regular basis. So there is definitely a difference with cultures. And I felt a culture shock, even when I moved back from Hawaii to Pennsylvania, you know, and I was there for five years and I was like, oh my gosh, I don't even know if I can live here anymore. I'm from here. I'm like, I don't even know if I can live here anymore. Did you feel kind of that culture shock when you went from South Korea back to Canada? Like how am I supposed to live here? Absolutely. Absolutely. Because I was suddenly confronted with 32 me's, <laughs> you know, mm. I grew up in that system. So I knew that system really well, but wow, it was such a difference to go from, uh, well, also class sizes overseas class mm. sizes are extremely small. And so mm. even in a private sector where I was teaching um, ESL, I would have at most 16 students in the classroom. Mm -hmm. So half the size. And then they were, their parents were paying for their lessons. So they were very understanding of if I'm not going to do well in this class, my mm -hmm. mom's going to pull the funding and I'm not going to get to learn English or, or mm -hmm. vice versa. You know, my mom's going to hit me with a stick or something. So, you know, there was, mm -hmm. there was that aspect of we're paying for this. So we're going to use it as much as we can. Whereas in Canada with free education, mm -hmm. I was listening to one of your podcasts this morning about um, a Malaysian Myanmar student saying, you know, education is free in the United States. Well, it is in Canada as well. And we take it for granted mm -hmm. that we're going to get a great education and it's not going to cost us anything to the point where sometimes the students don't care what they do, yeah. what they're learning. They're not hungry for it like kids overseas. Mm -hmm. And the thing with international students in an international school is they know what they're getting because they've mm -hmm. come from their home country. Maybe they've done six, seven years of schooling in their country. And then they come into this situation where it might be an American international school or a British school, and they see completely different education um, tools and methodology that teachers are differently trained. The classes are so interesting for them because they're a melange of, of a mix of um, their background and uh, the teacher's background. And then all the other kids also feed into that, the culture that you get out of a classroom with. Mm -hmm. I mean, I had I had classes where I taught 16 kids and there were 16 nationalities in that kid wow. class. So you just try and take as much as you can from each of them to make that class unique. Yeah. 
I know. I, I'm thinking back to that interview and I do think we take advantage of, you know, there's a lot of things we need to change in the education system. And at least like in our country, it's not equitable in public education, but for the most part, for being free, you know, compared to a lot of other countries, they are getting a lot of innovation and the pedagogy and the teaching programs that we have in our country, like it's constantly getting revamped and we're constantly using psychology and, you know, different studies to like revamp our work and try new things and not just necessarily have it kind of be lecture style, take a test, all of this. I know like in China, the students were so hungry for the way that we taught and we had British teachers and American teachers and very similar teaching styles, but even with some of the, um, American teachers, they, I think they enjoy, we did a lot of collaboration, a lot of discussion, a lot of like moving around the room activities and doing different kinds of hands-on learning. And a lot of those kind of students, again, depending on the country, they don't learn in that way. And then when they get it, they're like, this is so cool. So I think we take advantage of that in our countries, Canada and America, where students, I think if they went to some of those schools, they'd be like, I can't teach like this in like rows and just lecture. And then there's like, you know, not that exactly. many activities. Yeah. I think, I think, well, I was a, an exchange student myself at 16 years old, uh, 15 years old. I went to Germany for three months mm -hmm. and I was able to see their system of, of schooling and much shorter days and uh, more dedicated academically, not a whole lot of um social emotional awareness at all it was very very dry and academic classes um where the teacher is unquestioned you know it's the teacher is is the expert in the class and you're going to learn from from this expert uh as much as you can mm -hmm. and then i took an appreciation when i got back to canada and canadian high school i i took an appreciation for all those clubs we have after school all those sports everything extra that we don't even realize is is extra mm -hmm. because we don't know other systems so if um you know i'm always encouraging students if they have the opportunity to head somewhere else so if you're an american student head mm -hmm. overseas and see what life is like outside of your country outside of your bubble but also what school is like and you'll mm -hmm. have such a better appreciation for what you have yeah so after your time in Canada, um, since you had that, you know, the travel bug from Korea, what was the next step where you're like, I need to get back into international, you know, teaching? Um, how did you go about doing that? Or you can talk about maybe some of your other earlier experiences after that. Well, I was really fortunate to be about three hours drive away from an international teaching fair held at Queen's University. I think Audrey mentioned it as well. A lot of Canadian teachers know about the Queen's uh, Teaching Overseas Recruitment Fair, TORF, um, held at one of our uh, one of our best universities, actually, in Canada. But it was three hours away, so I had nothing to lose. I also had people to stay with uh, a half an hour away in Belleville. So I, I drove in um, and signed up and, uh, and immediately got requests for uh, interviews right away with my three years of experience in Korea and my three years of teaching experience in Canada. I was actually quite veteran for um, a lot of these international schools. 
So I was immediately getting offers of, of interviews. Um, I interviewed with Singapore. I interviewed with uh, Istanbul. And I interviewed with Russia. And mm. I was super excited about Russia because I've always wanted, I've always loved the Russian culture. And I've always wanted to sort of see where Catherine the Great came from because she was one of my first um, idols. And uh, unfortunately, that didn't pan out. But the other two did offer me jobs. And I had to choose when I had to look at the pros and cons of both places, Singapore and Istanbul, Turkey. I thought I just came back from Korea. I just came back mm. from Asia and I want something new and different and exciting. And so I chose Istanbul um, and thank goodness I did because I stayed eight years. I absolutely wow. loved Istanbul. And to this day, I mean, you might see in the background, these are my Turkish carpets. They're like my babies. Mm. Um, so to this day, the Turkish culture is, is part of who I am because I lived there for so long. And I took Turkish lessons before I moved overseas. Uh, I had this time, unlike unlike Korea, I had six months knowing that I was moving to, to Istanbul. Mm. So I started to take Turkish lessons right away so that I could hit the ground running, so to speak, and um, absolutely loved my time there and would probably not have left except for the fact that I didn't want to immigrate to Turkey. Like I, that mm. wasn't going to be my permanent home. And that's the challenge we have as international teachers is when do we move on? When is it time mm -hmm. to go and, and find something new? And it usually speaks to us either professionally, you know, we want a new challenge or it speaks to us because of the country we live in. Maybe it's also, you know, becomes dangerous, like some mm -hmm. countries with war or, um, or, um, uh, earthquakes and things like that so yeah or, or personal danger like crime rises so then that's when teachers can start looking for other places but it's always a challenge when is it time to to transition yeah. and move on and just thinking about turkey and you mentioned earthquakes uh what was going on right now i'm just so so sad to see just the the casualty count and everything that's happened to Turkey and Syria right now. And I'm sure when you're an international teacher, I've had other teachers on the show that are also international teachers. When they live in a place and spend time there, you were there for eight years, you're a piece of you is always with that country. And so when you see something in the news, like I'm sure it hits you a lot more. I mean, it's devastating to all humans, but when you're actually there and you have a relationship with the country, it can hit home a lot more seeing that. So I don't know, like when you, the places you've been at and you're seeing it in the news, like does something come up for you or do you still have connections like with people who live in Turkey? Oh yeah, or absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I still have a lot of friends in Turkey and, and for me, um, what I notice and what I see through my news feed and, and through the news um, are, is the hope you know, there's mm. the support. Um, Canada, for example, the Red Cross is matching, uh, the Canadian government is matching every dollar that's mm. going into Canada Red Cross for um, the Turkish, uh, yeah. yeah, for the Turkish support. And, or um, uh, the other day, you know, UNICEF, you just start to see, you actually see the helping hands. I see the helping hands more than anything. Yeah. And I think that's a way to, to kind of hold on to, that hope that things will get better, you know, and, yeah. and, and things will, um, but, but yeah, absolutely tragic to, to the, to the people in Turkey and Syria, as well as, 
um, those affected by it, it just outside of that the, mm -hmm. the epicenter. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, but I I I've always had an affinity for for uh, geography and for countries, but more so now because of my travels. That this mm -hmm. last World Cup was really tough for me because I was oh. cheering for every darn country. <laughs> I I had visited pretty much all the countries that were playing, and I was oh, like, wow. "But I really like this country, but I really want to support my country." And it was tough because Canada was in it for the first time in 32 years. So of course I was Canadian first, but uh, I was glad when Canada and Mexico didn't have to play each other because I would have really had a hard time figuring yes. out which t-shirt to wear. <laughs> That's so cool. Um, and coming from America, we don't, I have students and we had, we did watch a little bit in school, but we're just so like, we have Super Bowl today, American football. It's like, the I will be watching. Football. I will be, and I'm glad to hear who I should cheer for now because I didn't Yay. know. And now I will cheer for the Eagles. I just have to figure out what color I should wear. Any kind of green. Any green. Kind of green. That's my yeah. favorite color. Yeah. That's perfect. Yeah. Okay. So, Thank yes, you. I'm, I'm heading, I'm heading to um, one of our local sports bar. Uh, they have a huge giant screen that they put in for the World Cup. And now they're, they're known the as the sports bar. So, people cool. will show up for Super Bowl. I made my reservation because I thought I'm not, awesome. gonna, I'm not going to lose a table to, to yeah. Mexican because Mexicans love American football. Oh, really? I didn't know they that. Absolutely love it. Yeah. So uh, cool. so I'm looking forward to that today. That's awesome. Yes, I hope it's a good one. Um, so my next uh, part that I always get into is the pandemic. And I know you've taught in a bunch of different countries in your time as an international teacher. What were you doing or were you starting your business or in your business during the pandemic or how has the pandemic maybe shaped the work that you're doing or any, again, stories, aha moments, challenges you like to talk about during the time that we're in? Yeah, well, I mean, I I say I'm in Mexico because of the pandemic, because mm. um, what happened was at the time the pandemic uh, was going worldwide, I was in China. And so wow. China had, yeah, China had effectively closed its borders. And so we were COVID free. It kind of left China and went mm -hmm. to Italy, to Iran. You know, we saw all those like bump bump ups in, in those countries in Spain. And then we in China were completely insulated from that and were living COVID free. So I had not experienced anything uh, mm -hmm. as far as, um, COVID mania or, you know, the, the panic of getting it uh, until I left China. Unfortunately, I had a, a death in the family and I had to leave. I, I had to make the choice of stay in China and, and not go to the funeral or come home and support my family. And I, I made that choice mm -hmm. quite quickly because it was a no brainer, mm -hmm. but knowing that I was likely not going to return to China. And mm -hmm. that's what happened. The Chinese borders closed. Um, I wasn't able to return and so then I was looking for a new job and Mexico called to me. And mm. um, so I say that I'm in Mexico thanks to thanks to the pandemic. Wow. Um, and so I moved here a couple of years ago and uh, started my own uh, consultancy as a result of wanting to stay in Mexico, wanting to um, to help teachers out there who who, like me, felt that lack of support, that lack of mentorship wanting um wanting a sounding board somebody that mm -hmm. that has been there has has seen a lot of schools and seen a lot of countries and teaching overseas how do you get into this or how mm -hmm. do you um 
how do you know what's a good school? How do you know what's a good fit for you? And so that's when I thought there's a call for that. There's a need yeah. for that out there. Um, I've certainly felt it in my 20 years. I wish I had somebody like me who I could just reach out to in an email and say, hey, can you can you tell me what you know about this school? Or can you tell me what you think of this contract or this particular um, job package, you know, because they're just so different. Mm -hmm. And there's no union. Uh, I don't know how strong the unions are where you are, Jackie, but um, I came from a very strong union in Ontario. It's like one of the richest teacher unions in the mm -hmm. world. Um, now my pension plan is going to be nothing because I taught there for three years, but <laughs> But that union is so strong and 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 make and protects the teachers to the point where it's very hard to leave the profession once you get yeah. in because it's so good and it's so supportive. But we don't have anything like that internationally. Mm -hmm. We don't have anyone looking out for us. And so not that that's my role, but that's part of it. I want mm -hmm. to I want my clients and my teacher, you know, friends to feel like, They've got somebody to turn to if they have questions or doubts um, and they and they need that extra that extra support. Yeah, that's really important. I didn't think about that uh, with international teachers and unions. I'm in a private school, so I'm not unionized, but um, some of the bigger state education, like public education systems have pretty big unions. Like when I was in Hawaii, it's a whole state program. It's not just like when I got hired, the state of Hawaii like hired me. So that union's pretty big. Um, and even coming from Pennsylvania. So same kind of thing that you see in Canada. But so you kind of like this liaison, right? You're the person in the middle of like, I want to help protect you and make the best choices because not all schools, you know, everyone probably sees, I'm going to teach in another country. This is all exciting. It's going to be wonderful. And there's a lot of benefits and perks, but you don't know each school administration, right? The types of parents and culture and all of that. So you can like, figure all that out and then give that information to your clients and and have them have a sense of security going into what they choose to do. I think that's great. So that's what you've been working on since the pandemic time. Yeah, I've I've been enjoying getting to know clients from all over the world. Uh, you know, presently have Australian, British, American, Canadian, um, and then non-English speaking countries as well, Brazil, <laughs> Uh, Malaysia. Um, I recently signed with a Bulgarian teacher I'm super mm -hmm. excited to be working with. So uh, these teachers actually are all veteran international teachers. I was really surprised. I thought I would be more approached by new teachers, mm -hmm. but I suppose also word has to get out. Um, yeah. So the veteran teachers have been coming to me saying, you know, I think my CV just needs a little bit of something. Yeah. And, uh, and, and then mm -hmm. they come and reach out to me for advice on schools and I definitely steer them in out of the harm's way you know if, mm -hmm. if they're sending me uh, names of schools that I know about um, that I would not recommend for anyone I, I'm definitely steering them away from those schools uh, because I want the best for them I always say yeah. your success is my success so I want the best for you yeah that's wonderful um, definitely would be a great support to have and I agree with you you know, going through so many different schools and areas that, um, and this kind of goes into maybe our, our last part of talking about what we could fix in education. And, you know, you can bring in some of your experience with what you've seen internationally versus like teaching in Canada and things that can be maybe, you know, 
hopefully implemented in your home country to make it better. I know that when I met, meet with international teachers, I'm like, yeah, we need to be doing these things in America. Like, so anything you want to share with like your takeaways, ideas for education reform or what you've learned and seen in the field of international teaching and how maybe we can bring that to all schools? Yeah, I would love to see something that I got to see overseas be brought into uh, Canadian education, American education, the idea of school community, the idea that, you know, when I was teaching in in Arnprior and outside of uh, Ottawa, my hometown, you put in your hours and then you went home and you never saw your colleagues again. Mm-hmm. You know, very rarely would you have dinner with them or, or, or. Uh, see them on the weekends and it was it was a that nine to five job although those weren't the hours but that was kind of the feeling you were putting in your hours and then you were going home to your own life whereas Mm -hmm. when you're overseas your colleagues become your adopted family they become your social network they become the people you see on the weekends you know you might have a friend that you go camping with and then you have another friend that you do early morning workouts with you have another and they're all teachers at your school Mm. and I wish that I think that's what was missing for me um, when I went from Korea to Canada, I lost that. And I was in a new town. I had no, no friends. I knew nobody and no one took me up under their wing and said, Hey, you know, come over for dinner and we'll have a chat uh, about, you know, who you are and who I am and everything. And so I was left to my own devices of trying to build that community from scratch, Mm -hmm. um, reaching out to the local theater group, reaching out to the badminton club, but I, I was that person that was the go-getter. Now imagine mm-hmm. someone that's an introvert and is thrown into that situation. Mm-hmm. It's really tough. And that's something I would like to see, you know, schools adopt uh, in North America is that that idea of school community where parents, mm-hmm. teachers, uh, students were all working together for the better of student learning. Mm-hmm. at the same time as supporting each other you know mm-hmm. if you're new to the school if you're new to the town here's what you can find you know the great pizza here's the the best place to work out in the mornings because it's it's clean and it's it's fresh or something mm-hmm. so that idea of um school community is huge for me and i mm-hmm. wish i'd I, I wish i saw that more back home yeah it's so funny how you can be abroad and in a completely different country with such a different culture and feel more connected to people than coming back to your home country. I've definitely felt that before when coming back from Hawaii and China. And it is that extra lift of we want to do something to connect with people in the community and not just go home. Yeah, everyone has their their home life and has responsibilities. Not everyone has to opt into community events, but to offer it especially I think for new teachers and not even just new to the profession, just new to your school um, to say, hey, we have a faculty dinner we're doing this Friday night. It could be held at the school or maybe we'll rotate and go to different colleagues' houses. Like maybe have like home family groups. Like a dinner club. Like a dinner club. We started instituting something before COVID when we had a new head of school and then it fell off through COVID. And we started it again this year called Hungry for Learning. I love it. And so- our whole school, um, we have a subscription to the independent uh, schools magazine because we're an independent school and it's a quarterly magazine. So we get one in fall, winter, spring. And so what you do is you build a little home-based group. There's usually like five or six of us based on kind of like living near each other and different faculty 
we'll say, I'll do dinner at my house, or maybe we'll like, we'll go to happy hour, or we'll go, we're going to do a trivia night actually in May coming up. And it's centered around talking about an article from the magazine that pulls you in. And we do a little bit of talking about the article from the magazine, but really it's about coming. It's, it's getting colleagues to come together and spend time with each other. And I started that this year and it brought me back in the community, that community that I lost for almost, you know, two and a half years with COVID when we're all siloed. It, that one little thing that our head of school implemented could change the whole way that you are tied to a school and the way that you feel like part of something, that sense of belonging that really is like the new initiative of DEI. Now it's like DEIB, but to be truly feeling like belonging like you have to have community you know outreach and programs to connect people because you can't just it's not a job where you just go and do your job and you go home it's not that kind of profession no. you are literally having a human experience with your colleagues and your students and the families I'd love to see uh, faculty and staff connect more with families like have events where we're connecting outside of school even if it's just held on campus like a picnic right mm -hmm. or like a a craft fair or something and then you're talking with parents where it's not just the parent conference and when you do that it just it allows everyone to feel like they're part of something and it's like this whole ecosystem instead of again you're not just going to a job checking in and checking out that's just not the way uh, education works it's not the type of field so I am 100% on that I think that's a great aspect of when I say education reform, this actually has not been brought up on this show, the sense of community, because we don't think about yeah, it as because like- because a lot of these policy. teachers are parents themselves. You know, yeah. they have their children in the international school system. And so they see both sides. They see, a, they see being a staff member, but they also see being a parent. And so then I, as, as a single, single no children teacher, become friends with the parents who are also my colleagues. And it's it's like a full circle um, of building the community rather than just going to a building and doing your job. It's yeah. absolutely, I remember in certain communities waking up on Monday morning going, yes, I get to go back to school. Like just that f overwhelming feeling of love and support from the community, not the building, you know, itself mm, and, and yeah. getting there and just feeling like I'm going to see my friends today and I'm going to see my students today. And that joy, mm. the, the students feel that joy, you know, they, they feel when a teacher is joyful and is happy to be in the classroom. That's mm -hmm. why as an administrator, when I was um, in administration, I knew my priority was teachers because teachers made students their priorities. I didn't have to worry about the students if I was worrying about the teachers. Mm -hmm. So a happy teacher is a happy student. And That's the, so the students feel that. Yeah. I've had students too. It's so cute. I'll be like, so who are your teacher friends in the school? Do you have like a little like social network group? Like, do you text each other? Do you have like group chats? And I'm like, that's so funny. I'm like, I mean, some of the groups that I'm a part of, and they're like, oh, who's like your favorite teacher? Like, they because that's their life that's their world yeah. friends are important and when they see um their teachers having friends in the community I think that makes them feel even like closer to the community too they're like well oh, it humanizes us yeah we're humans we're robots yeah. yeah yes I love this so much um is there anything else that you want to share about the work that you do or 
promoting international teaching. Um, and again, I will plug your information and website in the show notes so our listeners can come find you. Well, I just really like to talk to your listeners about the the ones that are thinking about leaving this profession because they are they're feeling, especially after the pandemic, they're feeling burnt out, they're feeling unsupported. They're feeling like, why am I doing this anymore? Am I making any difference? And I'd like to I'd like to put a plug in for international teaching. It doesn't have to be a lifetime career as I chose and as many of my friends chose. It can be a two year stint to recharge yourself, to reignite that passion for teaching and find why you became a teacher to begin with. And who knows, from those two years, you might decide, you know what, I really like this. I'm going to stick with this and stay with it. But other teachers say, yeah, two years was good. I had a great time. I got to travel a little bit, make a little money. Now I'm ready to go home and start a family. Or in some cases, some of my friends, it was like, I need to go home and find a husband. (laughs) (laughs) So, so, you know, it's never something that it's black and white. Like you absolutely need to go overseas and stay overseas. And it's not one of those where you are going to just do two years and definitely go back. You never know what's going to happen. But I would like to just put a plug in for international teaching because of the not only the financial benefits um, that have allowed me to do this uh, essentially early retirement at 49 years old, but also the fact that you you get so much out of learning from your students when it's international because of the Mm -hmm. culture, the travel that they bring into your classroom uh again back to one of your podcasts I was listening where it's a a two-way street the learning happens from the teacher and from the student and Mm -hmm. I've never seen that so much as overseas Mm. you know where um it's definitely not the teacher is the expert in the classroom it's when that teacher is willing to be vulnerable and open up to Mm. lessons from their students that they make the the best connection yeah and I think that's what makes you a better teacher Yes, I would say too. any teacher who's like really struggled in my home country, it's been a hard time or I don't feel like I'm getting paid properly. I don't have the respect, but you're like, oh, this is my passion and I've given so much to it. This is definitely another way to stay in the profession. And if you do it and it's not for you or you're like, did it and I want some stability and go home, you know, you have that too. And sometimes it can allow you to come back home if you do and look at things differently. Absolutely. If I had not had my experience in Korea before moving to a small town in Canada, I would have been a completely different teacher. Mm. Um, But because I had that experience of that travel and learning a new language and learning a new culture and living in that culture for three years, it made my time that much easier in a small town that was very tight knit. You know, it was Mm -hmm. very it's very hard for a um, uh, an outsider to come in and break into these some of these small towns but that international experience allowed me to do that and mm. so I would say to your listeners as well this is an option to look at recharging revitalizing yourself but also if and when you come back you'll be that adaptable person that mm-hmm. flexible person that all staff members are looking for and all mm-hmm. administrators are looking for a teacher who is flexible who's adaptable and able to fit in quite well. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Absolutely. I think all of that, I mean, adaptability in this world today 
like number one that will get you through it and it'll get you a job. Well, thank you so much, Jacqueline, for being with us. Where can our listeners find you? What's the best way for them to connect with you if they're interested in your services? Well, and that's the thing. I, I'm so happy to share the good news, <laughs> kind of sound religious, but the good news of international teaching that a lot of my uh, website has information that's absolutely free. It's blog articles, tips to finding a job overseas. So if they go to uh, www.jpmintconsulting.com, it's all one word, JP Mint. Those are my initials with international. So jpmintconsulting.com. They will find, you know, how to find a good school, how to find um, a good package. Where do I, where do I want to go in the world? You know, what should I consider for a country? Because when you start to just spin a globe and put your finger on wherever it lands and say, I'm going to go to this country. Is it going to be a good fit? You know, what do you have to consider? So I've written a lot of blog articles thinking back to my first days in international teaching. What did I want to know and what Mm -hmm. should I have considered maybe before some of the schools I went to? So I've written articles for that. So if um, your listeners go to jpmintconsulting.com, they'll see there's contact me buttons, there's subscribe buttons so that they can get um, notified when I put in a new blog article. I have um, uh, a lot of connections with the international school communities. And so I have sometimes have guest blog writers. Uh, this week, I got a TCK, a third culture kid. Um, who's now an adult uh, writing a blog article about the te- the students we're teaching. Essentially, mm-hmm. the students we're teaching are not from the States or Canada, but they're also not from the Middle East or Asia or where we're teaching them. They kind of make their own mm-hmm. culture. So that's why we call them a third culture kid. They put together all these cultures yeah. and they have their own culture. Um, and so she's transitioned from being a TCK to a TCA, an adult, a third culture adult. And uh, so I, I I post blog articles like that to just inform my readers uh, and get them uh, knowing a little bit more about the international world. Interested in international teaching or just want to kind of learn a little bit more about it, I will have Jacqueline's website in the show notes. You can click right on that and find out more information. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. I really enjoyed this conversation. I'm also someone who's always been into geography and travel and I have the travel bug as well. So this is always an exciting conversation for me to have an international teacher on too. So thank you so much. Well, I want to thank you for inviting me on and I want to say go Eagles. Now I know. Go Eagles. Eagles. (laughs) Have fun watching the Super Bowl today. And I am just, again, so blessed to have you on. Thank you so much. Thank you, Jackie. Thank you for listening to The Teacher's Story. If you like this story, please subscribe and leave a review. You can also follow this podcast on YouTube and subscribe and leave a comment. All reviews help this podcast keep going and elevating teacher voices. <music>